0: Welcome to the Omphith podcast. Hello and welcome to the Omphith podcast. My name is Lewis McClellan. I'm the editor of the Digital Monetary Institute here at Omphith, And today we're going to be discussing central bank digital currencies and solving for cross-border transactions. And I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Nagy, business analyst for CBDC at G&D. Daniel, great to have you.
1: Hi, Lewis. I'm delighted and honored to be here.
0: All right. Thanks very much for, for joining us. So,
1: just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and, and your work on cross-border GND? Yes, thank you very much, Louis. So well, to start with, we are in exceptional times with regards to the international monetary and payment system. So it's highly relevant to talk about CVDs in cross-border payments. To give the audience a bit more context, in my current position at GND, I'm providing business consultancy to central banks pertaining to use cases, design aspects, strategy, Adoption and macroeconomic impacts within the CBDC domain. However, cross-border fund transfers have always been my passion topic. I researched it and wrote papers prior to joining GND, so I'm very glad to be invited here today. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you here.
0: Yeah, as you say, it's a it's a very dynamic time in, in cross-border payments, and there's a lot of a lot of work going on to to improve those, particularly using CBDC. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of the central bank projects for exploring cross-border CBDC platforms?
1: Yes, it's a great point. Uh, So there is a wide array of projects that are or have been committed to explore cross-border CBDC. Although they differ in many angles, all of them set the goal of providing more effective cross-border payments, and all of them have demonstrated the potential. Audience might be familiar with most or all of the projects. For example, Project MCBDC Bridge, Jura, Cedar, Project ABER, or recently Icebreaker or Mariana, the latter of my report is expected to be published by mid of June this year.
0: Yes, as you said, certainly a lot going on, a lot of different projects. Exactly. Um, do these projects have a lot in common? Or are they taking very different approaches? Yeah, you know, what are the the sort of commonalities across uh, these different uh, these different strategic approaches?
1: Yeah, it's a brilliant question. There are lots of commonalities between these projects. And to name a few, all of them are testing transactions across distributed ledger technology platforms, or so-called DLT platforms. So the ends of the domestic systems are run on DLT platforms. What's more, they are also exploring the use of these DLT for cross-border fund transfers. So it means that the transfers are built on, on DLT platforms as well other commonalities are that they test in most cases atomic payments so which which means that the transfer happens if only the other leg of the transfer happens as well and it's its key objective is, is to eliminate the time gap and the counterparty risks uh, between the uh, participating actors a key commonality is that no third party is involved in these peer to peer cross border fund transfers most of them aims to use local currencies and I think we will get back to this point later because this is a very, very exciting aspect of, of cross border CBDCs. Dominantly, what we observed is that these are wholesale CBDC projects. So they intend to improve the wholesale interbank settlement and enterprise or interregional trade between companies. But recently, Project Icebreaker started to explore the retail cross-border part. And we also had some insights from the France-Tunisia project as well. The key use cases are cross-border payments, as the name entails, and also the payment versus payment aspect. And last but but not least, the results of these projects are very promising. So they demonstrated that they can lower the cost of cross-border payments when it comes to compliance or or settlements. They can improve the speed of uh, of the settlement process because they don't use correspondent banking chains. They have direct peer-to-peer connections within the settlement uh, chain. And last but not least, transparency has gone through tremendous improvements as well. Yeah,
0: that's great to hear. I mean, the cost, the speed, the lack of transparency, these are all things that were... Key features of the BIS CPMI plan for improving cross-border payments—the big problems that they wanted to fix. So it's good to hear there's some promising progress on that. Can you talk a little bit about what the the difficulties that these projects are running into are? I mean, what what if they're taking similar approaches? Presumably, they're also encountering some similar challenges
1: as well. Exactly. We should also shed light on the on the challenges and, and the projects uh, transparently shared the current key difficulties uh, that they identified during the proof of concept or, or pilot phase. Some common ones are, for example, uh, well, the scaling issues. So how to include more jurisdictions into the uh, cross-border pilot testing, how to incorporate more central banks, more financial service providers into those testing. There are also lots of technical questions, but also governance and policy-related questions to this scaling aspect. Further... To mention, there are also interoper- interoperability questions. So, as I mentioned previously, currently distributed ledger technology platforms have been connected so far. But it is also very important to consider non distributed ledger technology based uh, platforms or other types of domestic retail CVDs that might be running on, on any kind of on, on different blockchains. Another key topic that we see is a key task for the Next steps is uh, the foreign exchange product. And this entails also the price discovery and also the the matching part. We we have seen lots of questions whether the foreign exchange should be executed on chain, so on the ledger, or how can, for example, bridge currencies deployed in the the cross-currency trade? Because not every currencies are exchangeable directly with each other. But for example, in some platforms, the different reserve currencies are not involved. So how to manage this kind of conversion topic and also how to integrate third parties to facilitate those foreign exchange conversion. And there are some other points, but now I would mention three key points as well. One is the policy angle. So how to also monitor the flows, the circulation of, of digital currencies and this also leads to the governance part. So who can monitor those flaws? What oversight can have the central banks in each transaction? And this also feeds into the topic of roles, rights, and obligations within this domain. So these are lots of questions that should be carefully addressed during any pilot phase, but the the point to make is that even if it's challenging, it can really lead to a more effective cross-border payments.
0: Yeah, okay. So there are quite a lot of challenge. Is still still remaining, but in a few different areas.
1: You've mentioned DLT,
0: distributed ledger technology, a couple of times here, and I wanted to to get your thoughts on DLT specifically for for cross border payments. Obviously, it's been part of the conversation in payments generally for for quite a while now. But you know, looking at some some CBDCs are, are going down a, a more centralized route for for domestic payments, and it seems like DLT might have more of a role to play. In, in enabling governance uh, on a cross-border basis, that was certainly the message that we heard from the PBOC a few weeks ago when they were talking about, you know, the EUN is is on centralized infrastructure, but Enbridge, their their cross-border play is is using DLT. So, be interested in your thoughts on, on the the value that it has for cross-border specifically.
1: That's actually a very good question. So our thought is that DBLT is needed for or might be needed for cross-border because it can solve uh, the trust issue from a settlement perspective. So just think about in, in cross-border relationships, who could be the central authority can be trusted by every participating central bank and and, and financial service provider. That is Currently, no trust on the, on the international level between those transacting parties. So this trust issue should be solved somehow, and this is where uh, DRT can step in and provide uh, some promising uh, solution. DRT also demonstrated that uh, it can provide high security. And uh, it can also fulfill the interoperability requirements of multi-tier operators. So, so from regional aspect and also from a, a technological perspective. But in the, in the domestic sphere, there is not such need for DRT because the central bank can fulfill the, the, the central authority role and oversee all the, uh, all the, the regulation and, and policy part.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So with, with a lot of different approaches being taken for, for domestic CBDCs around the world, if we're going to be connecting these CBDCs for, for cross-border purposes, as you say, DLT might be a big part of that story. But what else do the central banks need to consider if they're trying to build a CBDC system that's going to be you know, easily connected to, to others and improve cross-border payments?
1: Yes, on top of the foundational technology, there are three, four other elements that should be considered as core components. So one of them is the interoperability part. So cross-border payments as, as domestic payments should support the seamless flow of transactions. And the interoperability should be not just achieved on the cross-border level, but on the domestic level as well. So compatibility should be created with the domestic RTGS systems and all the retail and wholesale parts of, of a domestic payment system. So interoperability is is catering without any debate. We also see that smart contracting can be a key feature for cross-border transaction. And this is really to make the flows more effective. So to support the trusted self-execution and automated flows of payments. Because currently, since correspondent banking chains are used for settling cross-border payments, there are lots of manual processes, lots of repetitive tasks, and both on the compliance, on the treasury side, and also with regards to the settlement part. So to avoid those repetitive and manual tasks, Automation is a highly relevant topic, and that's where smart contracting can step in and, and provide a better uh, solution. And the smart contracting part leads us to the currency conversion or the foreign exchange part. And foreign exchange is, without any debate, also core function for a successful cross-border uh, transactions. And In in the foreign exchange part, we can talk about effective liquidity pool management, which includes the currencies that are involved between the transacting countries. And also some automated market making can be attached to this foreign exchange part. And with regards to the foreign exchange, there are lots of uh, questions here because currently Private financial service providers or market makers or so-called dealers make or are responsible for the foreign exchange. But CBDCs are intended to, to solve the challenges between less liquid or illiquid currency pairs. And that's where central banks can also step in and provide liquidity to narrow The broad bid ask spreads between those less liquid currency pairs. And it's also a question how the interplay between central banks and private market makers can be successfully. Utilized. So, so these are also questions that should be explored in the future. And on top of foreign exchange, smart contracting, interoperability, the separation of concerns is also highly relevant. So there are different AML KYC standards in, in, in the, in the participating countries and. Privacy is also an important topic of those uh, cross-border transactions, but the transacting parties should also comply with the jurisdictional laws and regulations. So harmonization is key between those uh, countries when it comes to separation of concerns and, and, and privacy questions.
0: Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. a lot to be a lot to be considered for by central banks when they're they're kind of building the cross-border element into this. Can you tell a little bit about G and d's approach to that? I guess there's a few different Areas of, of choices and how does GND look at this challenges?
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much for this question. So within GND, we are following a flexible and modular approach when it comes to building a successful cross-border CBDC platform. So as you might know, our domestic retail CBDC, called Filia, was designed based on the insights gained from numerous central bank interactions, and we intend to follow the same modular and flexible approach for cross-border CBDC. And with that, we are committed to tailor our solution to the needs and the requirements of the central banks, whether it comes to individual countries or economic zones. And as for philia, interoperability is key. And we would also put large emphasis on building a platform that could incentivize competition in order to driving down the costs and enabling a more affordable payment for for end users.
0: I see. Yeah, excellent. Fantastic. I wanted to to drill down into the FX component a little bit more because, you know, looking at the the different projects out there, you know, Enbridge and Icebreaker, for example, they're taking very different approaches with the degree to which the FX provision is is kind of integrated on chain. Can you talk us through the ins and outs of the the different strategies for dealing with with FX?
1: Yeah, that's a terrific uh, question. So, I would have three thoughts here. So first of all is the separation of of role and responsibilities. We envision a platform which can incorporate lots of financial service providers, which can support on, on foreign exchange conversion, and also on wallet provision. So we would encourage competition within the platform. But since I mentioned that maybe not all foreign exchange can be sold by private dealers or financial service providers, we can envision some roles for the central banks as well. So those financial service providers should be connected to the participating domestic systems and should have wallets in all of those countries between which they provide the cross-border and foreign exchange services. So this is a number one criteria that we see for the future. The second one is that, and this novel approach was highlighted in Project Icebreaker, that the wallet provision and foreign exchange conversion services can be decoupled from each other. And this is a highly relevant use case for retail cross-border payments. So you can imagine that you will have or... You still have a financial service provider, but you are not exclusively attached to it anymore. Instead, you are connected to a a cross-border platform, which can automatically give you the best foreign exchange price. So you are not dependent on your exclusive account provider, but rather you can get multiple rates and the system can select you the best one. So this is also a very novel approach to dealing with foreign exchange conversion. And last but not least, this this will be an automated platform as I mentioned. It will entail smart contracts and also a liquidity pool. And the liquidity pool can include all the currencies that are necessary to, to execute those payments between the transacting countries. So with this automation and smart contracting, the payment and the settlement lags can be brought closer to each other. And this can really improve cross-border payments because currently they are broken down into multiple days, into multiple processes. So with this atomic settlement, it can really reduce the cost. It can free up liquidity. And this will be very, very helpful also for banks, financial service providers because it can result also in lower regulatory burdens. So to sum up, you can decouple the wallet provision and foreign exchange conversion. You will have a very competitive platform to give you the best foreign exchange price and a cross-border payments will be less costly and also it will be way swifter than they are today. Why are all these important? These are not just exciting from technological perspective. It is highly relevant for the end users.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So there's certainly a lot of scope for improvement there and some really uh, creative solutions being considered. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that this has for, for users? Uh, I mean, I guess particularly in emerging markets, uh, having to transact with illiquid currencies and, or, you know, or via the dollar, there's a lot of additional risk that comes with that. Can you talk us through some of the, the challenges that improving this can, can help address?
1: Sure. There are mounting challenges around cross-border payments, just as I I mentioned a few previously. But the point to make before we we go deeper into the challenges is that we should keep the end user's perspective in mind first. So the aim is to improve their situation in in cross-border payments because all the costs that tar mentioned these days uh, very much. So, so the average cost of sending payments abroad is around 6% in average globally. But this is a very high variance. So for example, just to mention an astonishing example, sending remittance from Tanzania to Uganda, to the neighboring Uganda, costs can be as high as 30%. So almost a third of your cross-border fund transfer is, is, is taken for cost. So it's it's no doubt that the costs are high globally. And also the G20 that en- endorsed the numerical targets for, for cost. So these costs around compliance, settlement, foreign exchange are all passed on to end users. So, so the point is that. We can achieve high efficiency gains for the end users, and these cost issues are highly relevant in the emerging markets. And these costs are based mostly in the in the economic part. So, for example, after the great financial crisis, correspondent banks have been pared back in an accelerated manner, and also it had negative implications for the developed market, but mostly for emerging markets. And the point to make is here that the sparing back caused a negative uh, spiral for emerging markets because you can imagine that uh, the compliance costs uh, increased, the perceived risks increased towards those emerging market countries. Also, the foreign exchange spreads increased, and this also entailed a worsening in their credit ratings. So, And this feeded into the into higher funding uh, costs for Nostro and Vostro liquidity. So. These things that we are speaking about, it's its all against financial inclusion. This is one key part when we talk about the economic challenges. But also there are lots of difficulties in, in the settlement part. So there are risks with credit and liquidity as well. So since cross-border payments are executed mostly with private money or privately issued money, like commercial bank money. So these entail some in inherent risks because payment systems are credit systems as well. To make a payment, sometimes you need short-term liquidity to fund those payments. But if there is a delay in the payment or in the in the funding, then it can cause some disruption along the whole payment chain and uh, not to mention the bank failures. And the crisis can really exacerbate those pain points along the payment chain. So you can Really think about tectonic changes with central bank issued digital currencies along those uh, cross border chains, so they can really complete private money based system or the or the regulated liability network that might emerge from commercial bank uh, corporations. So these tokenized reserves from central banks really revolutionize the international payments. And last part is the uh, there are few dominant currencies used mostly in those cross-border payments. They are really important, but they can speed up some uh, spillover effects and uh, this can make uh, the foreign exchange even more costly, can cause volatility to the transacting emerging market currencies. So CBDCs can give the promise that local currency usage can be increased uh, in the future between transacting countries.
0: Yeah, I understand that's a big aim in the development banking community. They are you know very eager to see developing countries being able to do business in local currency rather than taking the FX risk and that's particularly thing in capital markets you know they're taking concessional lending but if you take FX risk on that then it it, it can be a, an additional burden you also mentioned you know the, this kind of thing there, there are a lot of potential changes to the the structure of the you know, international financial system. Can you talk a little bit about the the other sort of potential effects on the international macro financial dynamic? I'm thinking of things like, well, people are, are often concerned about substitution of if there's a new kind of means of transacting that's very easily accessible that might, you know, reduce the usage of the the local currency. So things like that. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the on the consequences that might have to be
1: managed? Yeah, I would highlight two things here. So first of all, I should agree with you that cross-border CBDCs entail macrofinancial implications, and this is a topic that I think is highly researched at the at the BIS at the moment as well. So put it simply, the macrofinancial implications can be more significant when CBDCs are more integrated and the cross-border flows are larger between the transacting countries. But these spillover effects or Currency substitution can be effectively managed with with cooperation between central banks, also during the proof of concept and, and pilot phase. But to, to, to make it clear for the audience, this currency substitution means that foreign CBDCs can be uh, theoretically highly used in the domestic country to the detriment of the local currency. So, this is a threat that every central banker considers when it comes to designing cross border CBDC. And yeah, it can be easy to switch from the cross border CBDC to the national CBDC or maybe to the national payment methods. So, the risk is that. The domestic monetary policy can be less effective if the share of foreign national CBDCs increase in, the, in a particular country. And also the, the capital follow volatility can increase. So there are lots of stuff that can be iterated from this kind of risk. But limits or caps could be incorporated into any cross-border CBDC design. And it can really put some wall against any spillover effect. Or for example, limits on non-resident CBDC holdings can be also introduced, or maybe there could be different onboarding protocols for end users and uh, when it comes to cross-border CBDC usage. So these limits and caps should be considered in any uh, uh, CBDC design. But I would also highlight some positive impact as well, or, or another angle. So, As we spoke, cross-border CBDCs can increase the usage of national currencies in cross-border trade. And this can be beneficial for, for many countries globally because they can cut themselves from the foreign monetary policy cycles. And also, increased usage of national currencies in international trade can implement some changes uh, in their domestic financial system. So, for example, the foreign exchange composition of central banks can change. And maybe the the balance sheet of the the commercial banks in the the local country can also go through uh, changes. And with that, they can make themselves less dependent on, on some external monetary policy cycles.
0: Right. Yeah. So a lot of progress can be can be made there. Um, I just wanted to go back to, we talked a little bit about use cases before, but I think just before we finish up, it would be good to get your your thoughts on on some of the, the use cases that this kind of improvement that we're talking about enabled.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thanks for going back to this part. So there are Lots of use cases and lots of futuristic use cases are explored also these days. But we see a clear need to improving cross-border remittances. Now, this is also a topic that OMFIF uh, highly covered uh, previously. So as you know, remittances are lifelines uh, for many families in, in emerging countries and for many migrant workers. So uh, cross-border CVDCs can reach breakthroughs in, in, in remittances. So this is a retail use case. On the wholesale use case, the cross-border trade volumes can be highly increased with such CBDC platforms. And those uh, cross-border corridors can be initiated between countries that have really close relationships with, with each other. And also digital foreign exchange hub can be set up. We see also large potential in e-commerce and, uh, and also in the gig economy. Fantastic.
0: And well, I think we'll have to pretty much leave it here, but just before before we wind up, can you just give us uh, your final thoughts on on how GND kind of fits into this and maybe any aspects of your approach that, that differs from, from
1: others? Yeah, exactly. To sum it up, within GND, we believe that cross-border CVDC have... Tremendous opportunities, both for emerging and developed market uh, countries. So we believe that not just cross-border payments, but also monetary policy and fiscal policy part can have benefits with with cross-border CBDC. And this can be really evident in terms of costs payment resilience, and also in, in future-proof technology. And as we talked about those nostro vostro liquidity and correspondent banks, developed markets can also benefit from the cost reduction and efficiency gains with those infrastructures. So with GND, target cross-border retail, and wholesale use cases. In the wholesale use cases, we focus only on the payment and, and trade part. And our approach is 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 really flexible and modular, as I mentioned before. So we don't want to be just a technology and just sell it to central banks. We want to first collect pain points, identify the, the use cases with the central banks, and then. With all that, we can really build together the right and tailored technology solution with the right governance model and the right design. So this is a very similar approach that we followed with our retail Cbdc solution called Philia. One last sentence. So, so, we are, so we are very excited and we look forward to engaging with central banks on cross-border as well.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, as you said at the start, a very dynamic time in the payments industry, a very exciting time, and uh, we will be covering it in a lot more detail throughout the year, and particularly at the end of the year with our future payments report. So please do check that out when it comes. And Daniel, thanks for coming today. Thanks for, for all your insights. It's a, a really fascinating topic and,
1: and great to get your take on it. Thank you very much, Luis, for having me. I hope we can continue these discussions in the future. Yes, I'm sure
0: many more discussions in the future. Thanks to our audience for listening. Do go to the website to check out any upcoming reports and events that we have and commentaries uh, on there as well. You can find our podcast on Spotify and Podbean and available on the website On Demand as well. And we're on Twitter and LinkedIn. So do follow our accounts there to keep abreast rest of everything that we're doing. Thanks for listening.
1: Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Omphith podcast.